Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 5. Let's pray again. Father, we need your grace as we read and study your word. This passage is so filled with your glorious grace and truth. We pray that you would give us a glimpse of it this morning, that we might uh, draw near to you, appreciate you, and also be equipped to share the truth of your word with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, we are privileged to study Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. We'll study it again next week, looking at some elements that we just can't cover this morning. In this passage, there is a comparison between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam brings sin and death. The Lord Jesus Christ brings grace and the free gift by grace. Adam was disobedient, bringing judgment and condemnation. The Lord Jesus Christ was obedient, bringing undeserved favor, or as we call it, grace. The Lord Jesus was obedient, bringing in grace. Also running through this text is something that's really contrary to our thinking. One act of disobedience from Adam resulted in condemnation for all. One act of disobedience through Adam resulted in condemnation for all. Many acts of disobedience, whether under the law or not, resulted in our human logic would call for more judgment. One act brings condemnation. Many disobedient acts should bring more condemnation. Why does our mind work this way? This is the way we're wired. I looked up a couple of articles this week, and I want to share just a couple of little bits of information with you. Charles Scott Robinson, you probably haven't heard of him, was sentenced to 30,000 years in prison for six despicable crimes. Alan Wayne McLaurin was sentenced to 21,250 years for some pretty gruesome crimes. His accomplice, Darren Benelford Anderson was originally sentenced to 2,200 years, but he won a chance for appeal. When he was found guilty a second time, this time he was sentenced to 11,250 years. This is how our mind deals with compounding sin. Compounding sin results in compounding judgment. Of course, One life sentence is not really a whole lot different than 20 consecutive life sentences, but whatever. What did God do regarding the multiplication of trespasses? This passage gloriously answers that question contrary to anything that our minds would conceive. What did God do regarding the multiplication of trespasses? Verse 16, please. 
Romans 5.16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. A declaration of righteousness. A removal of sin debt. We think that adding transgressions, trespasses, would result in further condemnation. But God says, though there are added layers and layers into a gruesome monster worth of trespasses, God's grace reigned supreme and brought justification in the face of many trespasses. Look down at verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. To this, this is what we see. While trespass increases, while transgressions increase, while sin increases, God's grace abounds more. Over the last few weeks, we have noted from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, that we have reason to rejoice in God. We have reason to rejoice in God. We noted it in these five ways, maybe not articulated quite this, this same way, but these ideas. We have been reconciled by God in chapter 5, verses 1 and 11. We stand in God's grace in verse 2. We are being changed by God in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. We have experienced God's love in chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. And we have been saved from God's judgment in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Of all that we can learn this morning from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, please understand this. No work of man stands a chance against the work of God. No work of man stands a chance against the work of God. First, we want to notice this. Adam's senseless, rebellious sin resulted in a declaration of guilt. Adam's senseless, rebellious sin resulted in a declaration of guilt. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 12 with me. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now we know who this is. Adam was the first man. God attributes to Adam that transgression. Though Eve, his wife, sinned first and deceived him. We know all of this from other contexts. God attributes to Adam this fall. He was senseless, thoughtless, and rebellious against God, and God declares us guilty. So what it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because, what does it say? All sinned. All sinned. 
Now you can take that in one of two ways. All demonstrate sin or all have been declared sinners. Um, it's been debated over the years from that verse. It's not debated over, well, it shouldn't be debated overall. That verse uh, leaves some room for an interpretation that man was declared guilty or that man demonstrates their guilt. It can go either way in that text, but not in verse 19. Look at, look at Romans 5:19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were, what does it say? made sinners, declared sinners. Because of one man's disobedience, Adam, the, the rest have been declared sinners. They have been made sinners. So we're guilty. We're guilty. The Bible tells us this. Now, as we look at verses 13 and 14, it seems to be a deviation from the, the discussion, but it really is not. He tells us that in Adam all have been made sinners. We're all declared guilty. And that is true whether someone is under the law after Moses or Adam. Adam was under the law, right? Because God said, don't eat this or you'll die. He disobeyed that law. And after the giving of the Mosaic law, Everyone that disobeys that written code is guilty of those sins. But in between, there's another group of people. What of them? Did they somehow escape the judgment of God because there was no written code for them? Well, Paul answers that question in verses 13 and 14. Look what it says. Verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted accounted sin is not written down in an account where there is no law yet even though that's true death reigned from adam to moses so obviously there's a judgment for sin even though there's no written writing down of those transgressions as if they are directly disobeying the law of god even over those whose what does it say whose sinning god tells us they were sinning was not like the transgression of adam who was a type of the one who was to come. So the sin between Adam and the giving of the Mosaic Law was marginally different. Marginally. Adam disobeyed a direct command of God. After the Mosaic Law, there was a clear revelation of God's commands. Between Adam and Moses, there was a human conscience that would serve to guide man's actions. Man's moral compass, so to speak. In Romans chapter 2, uh, Paul addressed this conscience. Take a look there. We're in Romans 5. Just take a left to Romans chapter 2 just for a moment. Romans chapter 2 and verse 12. It's going to let us know that all of these people sinned without the law. Those that, that aren't under the law, that don't understand the law, they don't have that direct commandment revealed to them, they still sinned without the law. Verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So God holds people accountable whether they know the law or not. Verse 14, they are a law to themselves, it says. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. So God holds people accountable from the moral compass that He has placed within them. Verse 15 gives us a little bit more. The work of the law is written on their hearts. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse themselves. So we have this conscience. Now, let, let's just think about this for a moment. After Adam, 
There's no written law code. Adam already disobeyed the one command that is declared, right? That was, don't eat of this, don't eat of this fruit, lest you die. So we have people that come between Adam and Moses. I wonder if they sinned. You don't really wonder, but let's, for this, in this theoretical conversation, you have to answer this question. Well, what's the very next thing in Genesis? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Had God told man not to kill one another? No. Did Cain know it was wrong? Yes. Yes, he did. Did God hold Cain accountable for his sin of killing his brother? Yes. Yes, he did. How about Genesis 6? You come to Genesis 6, and and we don't have the Mosaic Law, but here's what the Bible says, and it's in between Adam and Moses. Genesis 6, 5. The The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention attention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we have this very clear declaration that there's sin even without a direct command associated with it. After the law, of course, we read of the grievous disobedience of Israel and the pagan idolatry of the nations all around them. And today we have the evidence of man's sinfulness all around us and unfortunately within us. Right? We see, you see your sin. Men, women, and children, we see our sin. We get irritated. We get angry. We can be resentful or bitter. We can be disobedient to our parents. We can... Uh, be unkind. These are things that demonstrate our sin every day. Sin reigns. Truly, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look again at verse chapter 5 and verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Again, this is a reference to that period between Adam and Moses. Those sinners were not transgressing a direct command of God, but violating the law that God had written in their hearts. And the word trespass, just for the sake of of giving some flavor to this, the word trespass has the idea of thoughtlessly violating a rule. Thoughtlessly violating a rule. A rule. That's why we have the phraseology for our points that we do, and that is Adam's senseless, rebellious sin resulted in a declaration of guilt. As we look a little further in this text, Adam's senseless, rebellious sin resulted in death and a reign of death. It resulted in death and a reign of death. Now, next week we're going to talk a little bit more about that that concept of reigning. We're also going to talk more about what the law does. So we're going to talk about the law and reigning next week. We're not going to get too deeply into it, but we want to see what the main points of this passage are, and that is that Adam's thoughtless or senseless, rebellious sin resulted in death and and a reign of death, We'll see that again in verses 12 through 14, which we've already read. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death 
through sin. So death spread to whom? All men. Why? Because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. As we get into verses 15 through 18, we we see this reiteration of death that's the consequence of sin. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's trespass, or man's sin, sorry. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death. We see this very clear pattern. In chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ is superior to angels in his humanity. And as part of that discussion, he talks about this reign of death. Look, Look at what it says in verses 14 and 15. It'll be on the screens. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, referring to the Lord Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, listen carefully, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How is it going to happen? I don't want to die. I don't want to die by being hit by a bus. I don't want to die from cancer. I don't want to die of a virus. Oh, make sure you put on your mask and, and, and hand sanitize. We're afraid. We're afraid to die. Believers are not afraid to die. That doesn't mean we're foolish. It doesn't mean we don't follow guidelines. It doesn't mean we don't care and we don't consider other people and their fear of death. But we're not afraid to die. Death reigns over those who are still in their sins. Those who have been rescued from their sin. Death no longer reigns over us. We will die. You'll die of one thing or another. All your days, my days, all of our days have been written in a book before there was ever one of them. If I die by being struck by lightning, if I die by being electrocuted in my house, or if I die by a small, teeny little virus cell. What are we afraid of? The believer has been released from the reign, the terrorist reign of death. Adam's senseless, rebellious sin resulted in death, in a reign, a reign of death over us. So Adam's sin resulted in our being declared and acting as sinners. Adam's sin resulted in our death. Adam's sin, this sin and death that has come upon us, have been ruling over humanity ever since. However, our passage does not just speak of the bad news of sinful disobedience leading to death 
judgment, and condemnation. This gruesome monster of sin and death that began with one sin and multiplied into an unruly, limitless depravity is countered by God Himself. The work of man, villainous, selfish, hateful acts, the work of God, free gift of grace redemption. So the Lord Jesus Christ's thoughtful, purposeful obedience is an act of divine grace. Jesus Christ's thoughtful, purposeful obedience is an act of God's grace. So we've read these contrasts. I want to read them again because He's, he's bringing us back and forth. Adam results in death. Adam results in sin. Adam results in judgment. Adam results in condemnation. Death passed on all men because all have sinned. But the contrast, remember, no work of man stands a chance against the work of God. And so we see the work of Jesus Christ in His obedience. And it results in grace. The free gift of grace. Justification. An abounding of grace. Where sin increased. Grace abounded all the more. This is so glorious. We see this villainous, monstrous sin growing. It's all around us. And we feel it inside of us. And we think, condemnation is what I deserve. But the Gospel says, God says, in His good news, that Jesus has conquered that sin. Jesus has conquered that death. And what Jesus offers His grace and the free gift of grace is far, far greater than anything we can do and concoct and perform. God's works always trump man's works. We have to understand this. Look again at the text. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Abounded. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. A declaration of righteousness. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, what does it say, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, they will reign through the one man, Jesus Christ. You can see the the contrasts and the contours of this. Adam and man, God and Christ. Judgment and condemnation and death. Grace and power that brings life. It abounds. Verse 18 Verse 18, Therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
What did Jesus do to bring forth justification? He came. <laughs> he came. He left the glory of heaven. He took upon him the form of a servant. He came and he obeyed. He obeyed the law of God and he obeyed the law of men. And as a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he laid down his life as a once for all, wrath removing, substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. And God raised him up. Because God's grace will never be thwarted by man's works. God's will will never be thwarted by man's way. God's will reigns supreme because God is God. Verse 19. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous. Verse 18 says, so as uh, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Who? Who has this declaration of righteousness upon them? Who has this justification? Who is made right with God? Verse 17 gives us a little glimpse into it, but he's already been covering it. But verse 17, so we get in the immediate context first. Verse 17, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those, what does it say? Who receive, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign. Receive the abundance of grace. Romans, God through Paul in Romans, has already made it apparent who receives the abundance of grace? It's those who trust Jesus Christ as the sin-removing, grace-dispensing Savior. Those who receive this abundance of grace, those who are declared just before God, are those who trust Jesus Christ as the sin-removing, grace-dispensing Savior. You need forgiveness? Come to Jesus. You need righteousness? Come to Jesus. He provides both. Before we conclude, we have to, we have to do one other thing. It'll take us a few minutes, so bear with me. See what the text says. In verse 14, at the end of the verse, it ends this way. Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Adam, who was a type of the one to come. And what he does in this section, and he lets us know by that phrase, is he contrasts through typology, typology Adam and Jesus. Adam's trespass, we went, we're not going to read all these verses again, we're just going to make reference to them. Follow, follow, we've read it, and you can read it again later. In verses 15 and 19, Adam's trespass was thoughtless, senseless violation of God's command. That's what comes through Adam. What comes through Christ in this comparison or contrast, Christ brings the free gift through a thoughtful, purposeful fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. 
as you look at verses 16 through 19, Adam's trespass was a one for many. One for many. Adam's trespass resulted in, number one, condemnation. You see that in verse 16. Condemnation. Adam's trespass resulted, secondly, in verse 17, in death's reign. I'm going slowly here so that those that are taking notes can keep up. Thirdly, Adam's trespass resulted in condemnation for all men. Verse 18. And fourthly, Adam's trespass resulted in a declaration of sin. Verse 19. On the contrary, in contrast to that, Christ's obedience resulted in, number one, according to verse 15, abounding grace. Secondly, in verse 16, Christ's obedience resulted in justification. Thirdly, Christ's obedience resulted in abundance of grace and justification in verse 17. Fourthly, according to verse 18, Christ's obedience resulted in justification and life. Justification and life. According to verse 19, Jesus' obedience resulted in righteousness. But here's the the kicker. Adam brings death. Jesus brings life. But in verse 21, it's not just life, but eternal life. It's not just life. It's not like Jesus just makes us alive again. Jesus, in his work, he accomplished making us alive forever. He makes us spiritually alive. And in that spiritual life, we are united to him and to the Father forever. Look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in a temporary time in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to, what does it say? Eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Similarities in the typology between Adam and Jesus Christ, one for many. One for many. In verse 18, Adam's one trespass caused the fall of mankind. But in verse 18, Jesus Christ's one act of righteousness offers to all of mankind the opportunity for righteousness and life. The one for the many. No work of man stands a chance against the work of God. Where great, uh, sin abounded, the grace of God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ abounded to offer, to offer salvation to all. How do I know that this is to all? Well, the Bible is just re- replete with references. But in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, listen to what God's Word says. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, but now, but now, He commands all people everywhere to repent. 
because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. One last thought for you as we come to a conclusion here. I want to remind you of the words that open up the the Gospel of John. John is trying to describe for us, of course he's, he's empowered by the Spirit, so God is communicating with us about this one that has been forever. That the one, the Word, the Word that created everything. How He's come into the world as a light. And He lets us know that through this one, there is, to anyone that will call upon Him, those that will receive Him, they'll be declared children of God. But listen to what He says in verse 14 and then in verse 16. And the Word became flesh, we know who this is talking about, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, from His fullness we have all received, and listen to the wording, grace upon grace. And it's almost written with what we would call ellipses dots. Grace upon grace. Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, like the waves of the ocean that keep coming and they keep coming and they keep crashing into the shoreline. They keep coming and grace upon grace, it abounds, it abounds. Man's sin and trespass abound. It, it, is, it is a gruesome monster. Death reigns and it, and it grows into this utterly despicable image. But it is nothing compared to the abundant grace of God. We want to talk about the power of abounding grace. Can man's sin prevent God from accomplishing His will? In no wise. I will use the expression of Paul, me genoita. If you have a King James, it says, God forbid. In other translations, let it never be. Can your sin, can your sin overwhelm God's grace? Same answer. May genoita. God forbid. Let it never be. Or in no wise are you Are you beyond God's ability to save? Same answer, my friend. In no wise. God's power, the power of God's grace, abounds. No work of man, not even your sin, can prevent God in His grace from accomplishing His work. Here's what you and I need to do to receive that free gift of grace through that one man's obedience recognize recognize yourself to be a sinner see your sin see the results of your sin the condemnation of your sin and say that is not what i want this is no good turn from your sin and turn to jesus christ that's called repentance and when we turn to jesus christ that's called faith call upon the name of the lord jesus christ today and you will be saved. It's true for you. 
is true for your household. God's grace has power to abound against the deepest, grossest sin because God's work always trumps man's. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We pray, Father, your grace even now to work in people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.